Welcome to the Paragol Podcast. This is Jared Pickney, and I'm joined today by Trey Dorch. Trey, how you been, man? Man, I've been great. Just uh, living life and um, currently doing graduate school right now at Arkansas State. So um, it's been a it's been a journey um, the last year, but I'm here doing well, holding up. Really can't complain. Right on, man. I think this is the first time that you and I have ever had a sit-down conversation. I think so. Um, but obviously, um, we have a connection through your father. And so he was Absolutely. my coach. It was the first time that uh, I had a chance to interact with him in 1995, which I just found out you weren't even born yet. I was not. The time that you finished, I was not thought of yet. I was actually... And I had this framed in my kitchen um, because my dad gave it to me for a Christmas present one year. It's um, a quote that he had, and it said, December 26, 1995 will be the greatest Christmas gift I ever received because that was the day I found out I was having a baby boy. Oh, that's cool, man. And um, he framed that for me one year for Christmas and gave that to me. Um I think it actually might have been 2014 or 2015 when I was coming up on 20 years old, I guess, or whenever I was in high school or whenever is he gave me that. Um, and that was a blessing. And now it's sitting right there next to my fridge as a reminder um, that I was his uh, pride and joy. So That's awesome, man. That's so special. So you were born then in 96? August 18th, 1996. And... Uh, this is a funny story I like to tell everybody. Um, so I was born at the old NEA Baptist Hospital mm-hmm. across on the other side of Jonesboro. And what was funny was a guy I graduated with, um, Jed DeVault. Um, Jed, if you're listening, what's up, what's up man? Uh, what's up, Jed? <laughs> um, his dad is uh, Jamie DeVault that works over here at First mm. National and mom, Jamie or Jamie, uh, uh, Frida DeVault. Sorry about that. Um, and what was crazy was I was in one room. Jed's mom was in the next room. Uh, and Jed and I were like, we're, we're both getting ready to, to be born, you know, and Chip and Jamie, they're both going out in the hallway every 20, 30 minutes, however long it is, and they're giving each other updates like, hey, man, is is your little boy here yet? No, no, what about yours, you know? And, um, you know, because they really didn't have text messaging back then. It was <laughs> So the update was, oh, I got to go out in the hallway. We'll, we'll see who comes first, you know? And I, uh, and I like to brag about this to Jed. I said, I believe I'm a little bit more of the mature one because I was born at 1 a.m. in the morning. You were born at 5 a.m. So <laughs> you get that. I, so I got the little edge on him. But uh, it's a crazy story that I like to tell people that I was born uh, and we became really good friends in high school, you know, through sports and everything. And what sports did you play? So I played growing up when I started out when I was little. I played soccer, baseball, basketball, football. Never really was a tennis fan. Uh, You couldn't get me in the swimming pool to do swimming or anything. So those were kind of my main four. And I'll never forget 
the story they always told me was my first goal in, the so- in soccer was for the other team, and I celebrated like it was, <laughs> you know, the best thing in the world. But they were like, Trey, you scored for the other team. And I was like, oh, well, I scored a goal. <laughs> and uh, so – uh, soccer didn't pan out, so I stopped playing that, and then it went to the three major ones. And then um, I think in about sixth grade, uh, the fourth through sixth grade years, I stopped playing baseball. Um, and I was having vision problems, and so my first game in baseball that I had glasses on, and, of course, back in those days, you and a lot of kids now, they do the strap with – you know, just goggles. For me, it was a sports strap to my glasses. Oh, man. And so you always had to be careful. So when I put my helmet on for the first time, I was like, man, this is clear, you know. I finally see the ball coming my way, and I ripped it out to right field. And they knew I was a pretty, you know, weak hitter when it (laughs) – but when I ripped that ball over that right fielder's head, my dad would always explain it like it was a dog with his tail tucked. He just watched it go over his head like, (laughs) oh, my goodness. And – um, and then I started hitting the ball a lot better, you know, and, um, uh, one thing I always was salty about though, was my dad robbed me of an inside the park home run. He thought I had the shot to go from, you know, second to home. And, uh, cause the guy let in right field, let the ball get past him. And, um, the pitcher had to go be the cutoff guy. Well, not knowing at the time, the pitcher was the fastest kid in the league, so this kid, um, I can't remember his name, but he runs me down from in between first and second at the edge of the dirt. I'm rounding third, and he runs me down, and he tags me out about three feet from home plate. And my dad was already yelling, go, 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 like he knew I had it. And I got robbed of an inside-the-park home run by my, by my own father, on, who, who was my third, third base coach. And, <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, well, maybe another day. <laughs> and then baseball stopped, and then I stopped playing football sixth grade year, and it became solely devoted to basketball. And, mm-hmm. um, and you did announcing too, right? I did. You were the, what was that, for football team? Like you were uh, Yes, I actually did a couple things with the football team. I, um, I ended up being uh, the team filmer, I guess you could say, uh, for the – junior high team and then so i would i would get to go on some of the road or on a lot of the road games and stuff and sometimes that would interfere with basketball so you kind of had to uh play along with it as it went you know okay is it okay to mispractice you know is it is sure. it not okay and um uh in junior in junior high it was a little bit more understandable because it was just eighth and ninth grade really but when you got into high school it was like okay you're devoted to this one sport and then yeah so um but uh and then as i got into high school uh you know was taking some tv classes and everything and i um it was kind of one of those things where i waited in line and it came to be my turn and junior year rolled around and me and my buddy bryce powers um we became uh, the voices of the Ram Channel, per se, when it yeah. came to football season. And uh, we got to broadcast two years of football. And um, I'll never forget when I moved into my apartment a couple months uh, back uh, in August, I pulled out that game because, Dad, you got to know something about Chip. He was, he was a hoarder. 
<laughs> so, um, but he did keep a lot of valuable and precious items that he th- thought meant a lot to him. And there's a shoebox that I have, and it's got all these DVDs that he saved. What whether they were one games I filmed, like on the camera or for the Ram Channel, or they were games I broadcasted. Mm-hmm. There was maybe one or two basketball games I got to broadcast, and it was for the, the girls' McDonald's shootout um, because that was when we weren't playing. Um, but other than that, I was playing basketball during the year, so I couldn't broadcast or anything. Um, so my other buddy, Darren Addison, and guys like Jed Vault, they stepped in and uh, broadcasted with Bryce and everything. And uh, That's one area that our, our stories overlap because we – so. Myself and Jared Williams, we were in Will Brewer. We were, the, we were the first students to ever broadcast. We were the first students to ever be the voice of the wow. Rams. And so before us, it was, um, I think it was Keith Crook and Jimmy Dodd Jr. Uh, so it was always adults that broadcast the games. Well, we had some equipment that broke and they weren't able to be there. I can't remember the exact story, but Will, uh, Jared, and I basically went to his Tony Brooks at the time from KIT. He was our teacher before Michelle mm-hmm. Addison took over. And we were like, hey, we can, we think we can figure out like technologically, like how to launch this whole thing, like get it live. And I can do play by play and Jared can do color commentary. And Tony Brooks was like, you know what? If you think you can do it, then try it. And so we went to the game that night. We got it live. I did about play by play. And the parents basically like called in on Monday and were like, we want students to do it from here on out because they know the kids, they're connected to them. Right. And so Absolutely. we started from that point on, and I broadcasted from my 10th, my 10th, 11th, and 12th grade year. I was uh, the voice of the Rams for basketball and football. And by my 12th grade year, we convinced them to start. I don't know if it's still there, but the sports broadcasting class, which was a senior level like, credit that yeah. you guys, it was an accredited and then class. I so. think it became just like a broadcasting class in general. And then uh, there, there's been – you know, so many changes over the years. It's just uh, been crazy, and that's one thing me and him were talking about when I got here. I was like, talking about Bill, the guy with the nice shoes over there. Oh yeah, very nice shoes. Uh, mine are white and dirty, so he's got me beat. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so just growing up in this area and and everything, it it's been such a blessing because. Um, Paragold's one of those towns where you know everybody, but you don't know everybody. But if somebody knows somebody, they're probably going to know you, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's a small town, man. Yeah, it, 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 it's it's got a family is a small to town. It. It's got it's got a family sense to it. And when you think of my dad, Chip Dorch, um, there was always a time where he was having a conversation and he would bring up his son Trey. And so when I would be introduced to people, they'd be like, oh, yeah, your dad's told me a lot about you. And mm. I was like, really? I'm, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, you he's know? really and proud of you. Yeah, he was he was really proud of me. And um, so now it's become one of those towns like well, I, I come back to and I tell people that Chip Dorch was my dad. And they were like, really? Your dad and I went to school together. Yeah. Or your dad and I used to work together. I don't know if you remember me. I'm like, no, oh, uh, forgive me if I don't remember you, but that's pretty cool, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, that, and he's my, and one thing he taught me was it's about who you know when it comes to mm-hmm. building those connections sure. and relationships. And um, I started building a, a lot of relationships with him through season tickets at ASU. 
Oh, yeah. um, you know, big season ticket holder for football and basketball. And I went to a couple of those games with him whenever you weren't able to be there. Yeah. So I always appreciate it when you weren't able to make it. That's all right. No offense. Hey, none taken because uh, I'm sure I did have some uh, – I wasn't around yet or I had some other priorities I had to take care of. But um, uh, but those are those are times I, I really miss a lot. Oh, I bet, Is, man. you know, um, the – the season tickets and him having season tickets and even my freshman year of college before he got diagnosed and everything, he still had his season tickets. So whatever I was doing, I would look, you know, in his seats to see if he was there that night or whatever. And, um, like my freshman year of college, I got to be, um, part of the video staff for the A-State football team. Oh, nice, man. It was a year they went eight, no undefeated in conference beat app state on the road. And we went to the New Orleans Bowl, and I got to go to that. Oh, that's cool. And uh, Dad and the Bichong family um, and the Finches, they all got a, uh, they all got hotel rooms at the team hotel on the other side from uh, the hotel that we were staying at uh, on the other side. And um, so I just rode home with him, you know, but that was the last trip Dad – got to take with them per se you know before he got sick and we'll get into that yeah what, what year was that that he was diagnosed um so it cancer? was uh early 2016 when he got diagnosed and um he got diagnosed for those who may not know the full story he was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer which if you do research um uh, first off i was told like don't look at the pics because that what it looks like is going to harm you mentally and i and i took that to heart i never looked at pictures of what pancreatic cancer would look like my mom was actually you know uh one to tell me that she's like whatever you do do not look at pictures on the internet of mm-hmm. that because i don't want it to hurt you and that was her watching out for me and um and so when he got diagnosed i was like pancreatic cancer doesn't sound very good mm-hmm. stage four doesn't sound very good do you remember how you did he he call you or did he like so yeah how did you um, find out i was actually going about my daily college life you know uh i was i was sitting in the student union having dinner uh we call it flex um it's because it's on a meal plan and we call it flex dollars and so i was eating chick-fil-a in the student union and i was about to go to an intramural game and watch some of the you know fraternities and sororities play basketball or whatever because it was intramural basketball season and i was going to go over there with some friends and dad calls me up out of the blue he said hey um can you come down to paragold i was like um well, I'm actually about to go to intramural games. He's like, well, it's kind of important. Mm. I kind of want you there. I said, well, and kind of looking back on it, I kind of giggle about it a little bit. I go, is it mandatory? Mm. And, and he's like, yeah, son, it kind of is. I go, okay, yeah, I can be there in 20, 30 minutes and so I got my stuff, walked back to the dorm, got in my car, drove down here. We all met at my grandparents' house over in the Enclave, and um, 
he sat down with me, my aunt, and my grandparents and uh, said after all these tests he had had run on him, um, whether uh, it was tests on his shoulder because he was having some shoulder pain, lower back pain, um, a lot of symptoms that when you look at it now can lead to pancreatic cancer. Um, and also he had diabetes. So um, when he first found out these results, he asked the doctor, wait, was this a misdiagnosis four years ago, or was that just diabetes itself? He said, no, this wasn't a misdiagnosis. That was just you having diabetes. Huh. He said, okay. And, but it was my mom. She was kind of one of the first ones to bring it up to me. She said, um, it was right after, I guess, high school graduation and kind of that summer, kind of that fall and um, and it wasn't her being nosy or anything, but she was like, Trey, does your dad look a little bit skinnier to you? I was mm -hmm. like, no, he looks the same to me. It was just a conversation we were having in the car going somewhere. And mm -hmm. I said, no. And she's like, are you sure? Because when I saw him the other day, he looked a little bit skinnier than usual. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, I guess I haven't noticed, you know. And I think even though that um, – and I'll kind of, you know – get back into that here in a second but my mom and dad divorced in 2010 and uh it was when i was in junior high um but they still kept in touch because of me uh -huh. i was obviously the only child so um a lot of decisions that i was trying to make or that they were trying to make on me they would still have conversations with each other because that's how much they cared and secondly, it's just what good parents do, making decisions together and saying, hey, your mom and I feel this is not appropriate for you to do, or your mom and I feel that it's okay for you to go to this place or whatever. Um, kind of back to the, uh, uh, the the whole cancer thing. So he, so he, he brought us in um, that day and revealed to us that he had um, developed stage four pancreatic cancer. Um, and I knew immediately my life was about to change. Uh -huh. Um, immediately my heart just like sunk to my stomach and I was just like, why God are you doing this to my dad? He's uh -huh. so young uh -huh. and it, it's almost like God was preparing me when my mom told me that, you know, uh -huh. looking back on it. And that, and that's kind of something I realized in the last couple of years. Like, maybe my, maybe God was speaking through my mom at that time. Like, hey, is there something wrong with your dad that you may not know mm -hmm. that's going on behind the scenes? And but I, I, I was, I wasn't sure. I was just living life and everything like that. And and um, you know, like I was talking about the New Orleans Bowl trip. That was the last trip um, before he passed. That. He and the Finches and the Bashongs from uh, my church. Because mm -hmm. uh, I grew up here at First mm -hmm. United Methodist Church in Paragould. And, um, and uh, the Wesley class, that's, that's how they all had that, you know, important bond and Caroline and Dale Skank and all them and the Phillips family, Jeff Phillips and Carol Phillips. And, um, and when they were still here, Carrie and Erica Lawson uh, were in that class as well. So... And we were all we were all kind of a 
a Sunday get together group after church, you know, it was Dixie cafe or it was tamales or, or something like that. Or when Perkins was still here, gosh, that tells you how old I am. And that makes me feel old thinking about Perkins. Me and my buddies were actually having a conversations about that the other day. Like Perkins low key was like the place to go on Sundays. (laughs) Like, uh, it might not have been the good chicken strips. Mine, oh, don't even get me started on chicken now. Mm. Oh, you got me on that topic. My, if you ask anybody, they'll say, "Oh, Trey's favorite food." Um, but uh, so when your when your dad was when he told you that he had stage four pancreatic cancer, you said your heart sunk. You remember? Was it? Did you feel a lot of like? Was it fear, sorrow? And you said you felt hurt, you felt anger, right towards God. Oh yeah, there was all these emotions just circling through at once. It was, you know, fear, anger, emotion. Um, you know, it just felt like I had taken that punch in the gut, mm-hmm. just like anybody else probably would if they received that kind of news. Because it's not just your dad. It's like one of your best friends. Yeah, right? he was he was my best friend. We did a lot together, and we went every summer on a trip together to Branson, Missouri, you know, and that was like our go-to place. And it didn't matter how many games of putt-putt we did like we played until there was a winner and uh and he would always say now we're a little tight here on money but we uh we've got to settle this once (laughs) for all bragging rights until next summer and i was like okay and but we actually didn't go to branson my last trip i had with him um he was on the window board at uh, Branson, Missouri, the Wyndham Resorts Board, and he would go up there four times a year for a board meeting. Well, he had he had worked up enough points where um, for my senior trip from him, I could choose to go anywhere that had a Wyndham Resorts, anywhere on this list that he gave me. That included Florida, maybe like, you know, the Disney stuff down there. But I chose Gatlinburg, Tennessee, because uh, I knew it was a beautiful place. I'd heard a lot about it. Um and he had talked about it when I was younger uh, with my grandparents and everything. And I said, I want to go to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. So we did. And we went to the Biltmore Hotel over in North Carolina. Beautiful, beautiful establishment. Um, and we just did all these different things throughout the week there. And um, and I didn't get a break after that because right after I came home from that, I turned around and went on a cruise with my mom and stepdad. So it was a busy two weeks, but it was such a thrilling two weeks at the same time. And um, so, uh, you know, that was our last trip together was to Gatlinburg. And I'll always cherish that trip because um, it it definitely, looking back on it, it, it it's one of those things you don't want to take for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, sure anybody listening like never take for granted a trip a family trip whether it's with one parent or two parents you know a step parent whether that's with brothers sisters aunts and uncles cousins grandma grandpas um because um we're we're not promised the next day mm-hmm. and that's something i've had to really learn over this five six year journey is that we're we're not promised the next day. Do you remember um, after your after your dad told you about his diagnosis? Did he start chemo immediately? Um, so how that worked was there really specifically was not any um, tr- 
treatments available for that specific stage of cancer at the time. Oh, wow. Um, which was um, kind of really, you know, very nerve-wracking in a sense um, because you're like, okay, how how bad can this get real quick? And secondly, because um, you're trying to you're trying to think of the positives as much as you can, but in this moment and in this time, you're like just filled with all these negative thoughts because you hear the word cancer and you're just immediately like, oh man, really? Death, yeah. And um, and just how severe it was. So um, he found what was called clinical trials. If anybody has heard of cancer, they've heard of clinical trials and. Um, he found a clinical trial through um, Nashville, Tennessee, over there at Vanderbilt. So um, my dad's caretaker and his best friend, and you most likely know him, and Tim Blackburn. Yeah, Tim. That's uh, my wife's uncle, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Tim, I mean, I can't thank him enough for what he did for my dad, you know, those three or four months that um, my dad uh, had left on this earth. I mean, he was he – was, taking time out of his schedule to be my dad's caretaker mm-hmm. and you know power power of attorney and everything and mm-hmm. um it's a hey, true friend man it is it is and that that that's a that their friendship is a very true friendship because it started as guys who met mm-hmm. each other through talking about baseball cards mm-hmm. and the st louis cardinals in like the sixth or seventh grade yeah and it lasted for forty years, yeah. and um, and I'll I'll I can never repay Tim for that, nor can my family, mm-hmm. because um, what he did, it just it, re- it it gave me a sense of hope, but also it gave me a sense of peace, knowing that I had my dad's best friend watching out for him, yeah, uh, you know his lifehood long best friend, and. Makes the journey a lot less lonely. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so he was always sending me updates, and then when he would come back, he would have all these notes and stuff typed out, and he would have it highlighted and um, of what the doctors said and kind of where they were at in the clinical trial stage and whatnot. And um, I'll never forget that time that my dad came home after that first chemo treatment. And I was like, this isn't my dad. you know. In what way? What do you mean? Just – the what the complexion of his skin color, um, you could see that uh, just in the face he had gotten skinnier. Um, the treatment had done a big toll on him, um, and I remember, and I remember that night, that first night he was home. You know, he there was just a lot of fluid built up in his legs, so um, you know the best way to do that was you know put him in the recliner and. Um, from then on, it was just like he was bound to the recliner mm-hmm. because, um, you know, he just had all that fluid. And secondly, if he ch- tried to lay down in the bed, which he tried a couple of the times, and it was just too painful for him. And um, uh, and there would be times that I would have to help him up and everything. And so... What, were the conver- what kind of conversations was he having with you at this point? Was he still trying to stay optimistic and be like, hey, man, like... You know, like I know, I remember his post on Facebook and like what he would talk. Yeah, like I, if you'd run into him in public or talk to him in text, he was always trying to like stay positive. But like, oh, absolutely. Was that the same thing you were getting behind the scenes, or was he like, "Hey, man, like this is really serious," like, or is it both? It there was a little bit of both. Um, you know, he was telling me 
how much of a toll the chemo was really taking on him. And, um, but he never had that sense of negativity. Like I just can't do it anymore. I never had to talk that into him. He, uh, you know, even just sitting there, um, like I was saying the first night he came home and I didn't, I was just like, he looks like my dad, but just the complexion of his skin color and everything, it just, it just one of those things that made me, made my heart sink again. And I was just like, my poor dad, you know, Mm. having to go through that, I'd do anything to be in his shoes, just like any, any other family member would say about a family member, um, or a best friend or, you know, a spouse or something like that. And, and I remember the first night I'm sitting in there on my bed, you know, playing, playing some video games, just trying to keep my mind busy. And, uh, cause it's winter break at this time, I think. And, or winter breaks just now, um, getting ready to be over with, uh, college freshman year, um, which in college you get a month compared to like two weeks in high school. So that was like a, a pretty cool deal to me. And, um, but I was going down to Paragold two or three nights a week to check on him and um, and everything. So I just remember him just staring at the ceiling. And But Tim had explained to me, like, Trey, he's going to be a little bit foggy in the brain because of that chemo. So, you know, they said, don't be freaked out if he's just, like, staring off into space if you're talking to him. And then he just, like, kind of zaps out of it and looks at you. He said, don't be freaked out by that. They said, that's just side effects of the chemo treatment. And I said, okay. And that night he did that. And I was just like freaked out in a sense because you, you I mean, you've never seen something like that before up front and personal. So, well, and especially not with your dad. I mean, when you're a kid and you were still, you know, I know you're an adult, but it's just. Yeah. I was, I was kid. about 18 going on 19. Yeah, but you're yeah. still, that, that's your dad. And it's like, there's nobody bigger in the world than yeah. a boy's dad, you know? I mean, they're, large, they're larger than life. I mean, and for so much of your childhood, I mean, your dad's invincible. Like, nothing can hurt. So, like, not only are you seeing something you've never seen before, but you're seeing it in your dad. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then just those nights where he would, you know, bless his heart, he felt so bad that he would have to wake me up at one or two in the morning to go to the bathroom to help him go to the bathroom because he just didn't have the strength to get out of the recliner. And, um, and in a sense it was almost, and not even in the worst way possible, like, you know, taking care of like, um, like your own kid, because he just did not have the physical ability to mm-hmm. do so. And, um, and I, and I never saw it that way. I was helping out a dad. I was helping out a father in need. Um, mm-hmm. But as months progressed, and I saw it the first time he comes home without any hair, that was just a uh, – man, it was it, – it's kind of one of those things that you just want to get out of your head, but it's also one of those things that I've learned in therapy through the years that um, – it's always going to be there with you no matter what. Um, those little, you know, bits and pieces of holes and scars. And seeing him come home for the first time without any hair really, um, hmm. that really that really got to me. I said, 
I, I don't even recognize my own dad anymore. Mm. Like, and his throat was so scratchy because of the chemo. And, um, and so as months progressed on, um, we kind of fast forward to May, which is really kind of when things went downhill May of 2016. And it's hard to believe that we're coming up on five years now. And he would have been... It's crazy. He would have been um, 60, I believe, this year. Because, so, yeah, 2016, 2020. Yeah, so 60, 61 this year, somewhere around there is what he would have been. And, um, and so we kind of fast forward to May and... Um, I think it was me and my uncle, my grandpa, we were, my papa, we were over there, Harold, uh, my dad's dad. Um, and for those listening, um, if you remember, uh, leaving Paragold where the Hampton Inn is now, there was a house and then there was a shop behind that house. That was my papa, Harold's shop, um, for years, his tool and die shop. Mm. And, um, up until like they retired and then they moved into a new house after retirement and everything and that's kind of where the, all the family gatherings began once i came around and because um, i personally i don't remember that house much on the hill but when my aunt kim and the cousins talk about it they're like oh yeah out on the hill we used to do this and i'm like well i don't remember i wasn't born yet you know but i was thought of um but uh so yeah, that that's where my papa and grandma used to live, and that used to be his shop. And they would tell me how dad would DJ at the radio station next door, and his way of getting to work was just sneaking through the hole in the fence and walking right into the door and going to to DJ. And I was just like, that is something he would do. <laughs> that is something he would do. And um, but yeah, so we fast forward to May, and it's like um, I guess. A week or two before his passing um i said dad the fluid in your legs is really bad we just we i think i think we need just to go to the hospital so they can get that fluid down a little bit so you can go back to your treatment you know here pretty soon what he had already missed his last one because um of just that fluid in his legs and i was like i don't want him to miss two in a row um, if we, if we're, if he's going to survive this, we need to, mm-hmm. we need to get him to these treatments. And even though that took so much of a toll on him, just to travel to, from here to Nashville was just enough already. But, um, so me, my papa and, um, my uncle Gerald, Gerald Varvel, um, helped my dad out of the house and we, uh, put him into the car and we took him up to the hospital and little did I know um, that that was going to be the very last time my dad ever walked out of our house together. Hmm. And um, so we took him up there, and it took forever, you know, waiting to get him a room. And he was just very uncomfortable and very impatient back there just because of how much pain he was in yeah. um, back in the ER waiting room or back in one of the rooms. And then so Gerald told me and Papa all uh, to go on home and or uh, Papa refused he wanted to stay there with dad so you know they told me to go on home but go over to grandma's and spend the night with her and um, so at least she'll have somebody there with her so I spent the night at her house and went back the next day and I finally got him a room and um, 
I think he was only in the room in, in a room for about uh I wouldn't even say a week. Jared, I w- I wouldn't even say a week. Um and then that's when things went downhill. Um uh, we kind of started noticing some changing in his breathing. Uh you know, the fluid was starting to build up a little bit and um just in the lungs and everything too from the legs up and uh, I mean, you could just see, you know, the built-up fluid in his knees and in his legs. And mm-hmm. um, and people were probably like, man, this has got to be so traumatic for you to talk about it. But I tell people all the time, I've, I'm an open book nowadays compared to what I was five years ago about all this. So, like, I've told this story, you know, a hundred times yeah. um, to, you know, the closest of friends. But um, I don't think people have really heard, like, the in-depth details and – I think this is really the first time, and uh, even though it's a sorrowful story, it's it you know it's a pleasure and an honor for me to be here and telling you know exactly what went down with him in his final days. And yeah. well, it's an honor for to us, man, for you to share it and trust us with it. Absolutely, and um, so uh, we got a call that um, they were having to put him in the ICU because. Um, his breathing had just gotten a little bit more shallow and um, and and everything like that. Well, um, the Saturday before he passed was actually um, a, a kind of rough day because um, he had let me know or I had let him know that Dad, Jimmy Bouchon, has passed away. And um, he's like, yes, I just heard you need to tell grandma and papa. So I called grandma and papa and I told them. And um, that was like one of the last few text messages that we conversed, you know, with with each other. And um, I came in his last day in like an actual room and he was having his test run. And it was just the wrong time of the day, I guess. And he's like, not right now, son. No, Mm -hmm. like, leave and come back in a little while and so i left but like when i got in the car i like started crying because i i've never had my dad talk to me like that before Mm -hmm. but at Mm -hmm. the same time i knew he was in pain Mm -hmm. but wasn't meaning for it to come across that way so Mm -hmm. um but as i was driving off he was like okay you can come in now he i guess thought i was still out in the hallway so turn around went back in and asked how he was doing that day and he said i'm okay you know uh, just a little tired i said it's all right to rest you know i I know it's probably been a long day and and you know at this point i'm like rest just to sleep i wasn't meaning rest to like go home to the lord you know because i Mm -hmm. I was still having that sense of hope Mm -hmm. um but then it got time to where he got put in the icu and um, it was just one of those things where I didn't want to leave, but I was being forced to leave. Um, he was still coherent at that point. Yes. Um, there was one night in the ICU, uh, that he was, you know, fairly coherent. Um, but after that, um, he had had a bad night and unfortunately they had to sedate him. Mm-hmm. And, um, what really broke my heart was, uh, my dad, he would, when his IV would wear off for the pain, because um, so, they don't have the cancer, mm-hmm. you know, tools right there in mm-hmm. the 
ER or, or in the ICU. I mean, so here, once that IV ran out and, um, you know, and that pain started coming back and his bones and everything, he would start yelling, help, help, help. And we're like, dad, they're on, they're on their way. It's okay. It's okay. Um, you know, and I'm just sitting there just rubbing his hand like, Hey, it's okay. You know, you, it's almost like you're, you're talking, you know, to, you know, a little kid or something, but, uh, but you just have to comfort them as much as you can. And, um, uh, I said, dad, I'm, they're telling me I need to go and they're forcing me to go as much as I hate to. And I, I want to spend the night with you, but I can't, you know, so I'm going to go home. I'm going to stay with grandma and papa and I will see you tomorrow. Okay. I love you. And he goes, I love you too. As I left the room in that real soft, scratchy voice. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, and that was very peaceful to me because those were the last words we said to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from then on, he was sedated. Um, we had a lot of friends and family coming in in the ICU waiting room. Um, there, there were a very few people that we took back there to see him to, because we had kind of been pulled aside into the family room and said, there's just nothing more we can do for Chip. He's hurting. And, um, that really is when I knew my life was going to change forever. Mm. I wasn't going to have my dad at my wedding. I wasn't going to have my dad at my college graduation. I wasn't going to have my dad appearing for uh, whatever it may be. Um, Yes, he was going to be there in spirit, but at the same time, he's not going to be there in in physical form. And so I was thinking about all of these things that had just, circled into my head and said, okay, Trey, like your life's about to change, man. Get ready for this roller coaster. And mm-hmm. it sure has been. And, um, then, and one of my best friends growing up, my next door neighbor over on Mockingbird, uh, Lane, uh, the Davenport family, they were such a blessing to us. And I, I miss those days living, you know, over there on Mockingbird and, Rebecca Drive, and because uh, we were next door neighbors, we built right next to them, and uh, we met them. And from then on, Jenna and I were best friends. Mm-hmm. Kind of grew apart a little bit. Everybody grows apart a little bit, but then they kind of reconnect. And college is when we really kind of reconnected. And you know, Jenna was such a blessing. She was up there a ton mm-hmm. um, in the waiting room, and I can never repay her for that. Just like Tim, like she was you know, a blessing from above to be there. She, she was like a sister to me growing up and she was a best friend of mine. And, um, you know, I love her to death and she's happily married now and, you know, has a job in Brooklyn and, uh, glad she's doing super, super well. Um, but it was very comforting to know that I had a friend, friend like that, you know, like dad had like Tim to be there. And she she didn't even have to be there, but she chose to be there for yeah. me. And and that's one of the most important things is, you know, sometimes when people are going through grief and loss like that, you know, at least what we're taught in seminary, I think all count, anybody who's gone through any sort of training and counseling, they're taught that it's not about what you say, but it's about just your presence of just being yeah. there with somebody. It means the world, you know. And so I think it's good for people to hear that because we all feel awkward when people are about to lose someone they 
love or they've lost a loved one. So I like, I don't really want to like be around them because I'm not going to say the right thing or whatever. It's like, no, you don't right, have to say yeah. anything, you know, just yeah. be in there. And, you know, with her, with her being there, that was a big blessing and everything. So um, when it came to May 22nd, 2016, um, ironically, out of all days, it was a Sunday morning. Um, and it just, it's so crazy that it was a Sunday morning because the sun, because you see the seventh day that you know God created the heavens and the earth, He rested, hmm. and then you look at my dad's situation, and you can look back on it now and be like, "Wow, how crazy God works!" But then you're just like, "Oh crap, here hmm. we go," and so it's like five fifteen, five thirty in the morning. Uh, I have my phone on loud. It's in the bed next to me because I'm afraid I won't hear it if it's on the nightstand and, you know, it's on loud and vibrate and everything, all the above. Mm-hmm. And um, she said, I'll call you if anything happens. And she calls me and she said, Trey, it's it's time. And I immediately got out of bed, threw on some clothes, threw my, threw my contacts in. And I knocked on the door, uh, woke up the dogs. Of course, that thrilled mom to death. But... Um, uh, but um, I said, Mom, um, I'm headed up to the hospital. Kim just told me it's time. And she's like, oh, okay. Um, and I was very blessed to have my dad's family let my mom be a part of that whole situation. And kind of a little cool story, my mom was in the uh, ICU room with my dad while um my aunt and uncle and i think grand grandparents were out in the waiting room and my aunt kim she was there 24 7 she was she did not leave his side she was even working from there um basically and he was he was going into work driving you know the truck a truck and everything and then he would come back and then he would go home and go to sleep and then he would come back at nights and then on the weekends he would you know stay there and they would literally spend the night in the room spread out on you know that small little couch and um you know she was the one really who never left his side because that's her baby brother you know that's that or that's her big brother you know and um so when i got there it was i just seen the nurse walk out of the room and I walked in, and, you know, it was my aunt, my uncle, or it was my Aunt Kim, and uh, I think one of my cousins of, I can't remember if it was, I, I believe it was my cousin Zach. He's the middle of the three, or the four grandsons. He's the second oldest. Um, there's me, Josh, or Josh, Zach, Cody, and then me um, were the four grandkids. And I think Zach was the one that was up here a lot, from uh, Conway, and so I think it was them two in the room at that point. My uncle had gone to get Harold and Moselle, and as soon as I walked in, here came Grandma and Papa trotting down the hallway, you know, with Gerald, and um, the nurse had, had, she had just left and said that there was a very, very small heart pulse, um, and I said, hey, Daddy, you know, I'm right here. Trey's here. Um, and, you know, just talking to him and letting him know I was there. And uh, the nurse came in and 
uh, he held on until I got there. She came in and checked one final pulse and just shook her head no. And um, my dad passed away around 6 a.m. on May 22nd, 2016. Um, And like I mentioned, it's coming up five years to the day, which is still hard to believe. But um, And that's really kind of how my life changed forever because – and at the time, the pastor at First United Methodist Church was still John Fleming, and Mm -hmm. he and my dad were best buds. Yeah, yeah. You helped officiate the funeral of John Fleming, right? I did. What Was that a couple days, two, two, three days after your um, dad passed away? Yeah, so it was a couple days after, and we, um, long story short, we just told all the stories, and I said, I think I want to say something at his funeral. Uh, I think it would be the right thing for me to do. And um, for those listening who attended, they, I'm sure they remember me and um, getting up there, and they said, I just don't know how you did it. Yeah, I and was there, man. I saw you did a great job. Well, I appreciate you did that. A fantastic it, it job honoring your dad. It was, you know, such a blessing from above that I was able to, you know, get through that. And um, took a lot of courage and a lot of love, man. Yeah, for and sure. so that, and, and so after that, once it it's been a couple months now since he has gone, and I'm kind of going through this dark phase in my life where I'm just not really wanting to get out and do anything. And if I do want to get out, I'm getting out and drinking and partying for the wrong reasons. It's more or less to forget than Mm. to just go have fun. And I'm like, one day I I woke up and I was like, your dad wouldn't want you doing this, man. Like, why are you doing this to yourself and putting yourself through this? And I was actually the one that got a hold of me before God could get a hold of me and said like, dude, you got to do better. And so I got involved with the, um, Central Baptist Church 747 College Ministry mm-hmm. and made some of my best friends, probably friends that'll be in my wedding, you mm-hmm. know, through that ministry. And um, Blake Ligon, who's mm-hmm. uh, uh, here at uh, Central Baptist Paragold mm-hmm. now, was the he college, was college guy then, right? He was the college pastor at the time, yeah. yeah and we were devastated when, you know, he <laughs> left because of his energy and passion he had for the college kids. But, um, Blake, he he's he's such you know he's such a jokester man. He's he's crazy, but I love him to death. Uh, and then Jonathan Freeman, his assistant mm-hmm. at the time, took over, and he and his wife Sarah they they've been such a blessing to me because um, Blake and Jonathan really helped me get back in and on the right path. That's good man. And um, what do you think now as you? You said it's five years, um, almost five years to the day that your dad passed. What's as you look back? I know you said you've had therapy, you've yeah. had your ups and downs. What's been the biggest thing that you've learned? Do you feel like uh, whether it's God's taught you or others have taught you? Um, I know you said the things have changed forever, but yeah, I think one thing you know, obviously, you can't take a day for granted with your parents. I mean. I see some kids mistreat their parents. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like, man, what if your dad's gone the next day and that's the last thing you said to him? It's not to make the kid feel guilty. It's to make them feel like you you don't know if this is their last day on earth. Just like I didn't know that morning was going to be his last morning. And, um, and just kind of 
referring to what God says about casting your anxieties and all your fears onto Him. Uh-huh. And that's what I had to do over these last couple of years. And recently, I was just last summer when the pandemic hit, um, I was kind of general diagnosed with generalized anxiety. R- really never knew what it was, but my doctor, Suzanne Bashong, she said, I think after what you've been through, losing your dad and then lost my grandparents two years ago and mm-hmm. uh, his his mom and dad. And so I think losing all them has finally caught up to you. And that's mm-hmm. why you're feeling mm-hmm. all this inside of you. You're having these panic attacks. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so th- that's kind of put me where I'm at today. And uh, But also I think another lesson I've been taught is that um, if if you're raised in the right kind of strong foundational household, um, God will present you with many blessings. Hmm. Um, he's present. He's given me so many best friends hmm. that I I can't. You know, they all know who they are, and um, I can't thank enough for being there for me and. If I ever need to talk, they're always saying, I'm here if you need to talk. Um, uh, they Sometimes they do give me a grudge when I talk about sports because they're like, yeah, I'm not a big sports person or da-da-da-da-da. You're the most obnoxious Cowboys fan ever. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, I'm a diehard, passionate fan. I know you can call us obnoxious, whatever you want, but that's you just me. You get your love from sports. From hey, man. man. Oh, yeah. yeah. They were like, do you like NASCAR like your dad? I said, no. <laughs> you draw the line somewhere. Uh, yeah, you got to draw the line. I said, I'm not watching cars go in circles for four hours. <laughs> but he didn't ever watch them live. What he would yeah. do is sleep and tape them and go back and watch them. I was never allowed to tell who won the race or else I could get a nice little look from him. And uh, it's just like one of those. And if you knew my dad, I would always tell stories of like, he would start out, son, don't you start that. Mm -hmm. He would always start out a sentence with son. Now I've found myself doing the same (laughs) exact thing. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, did I just start out a sentence with the word son? Like, (laughs) son, let me tell you here right now. His legacy lives on, man. His legacy lives on right there in the blood and the flesh. And, um, but you know, I've, I've been, uh, uh, attending central Baptist church, you know, for the last couple of years now, since I've started going to that college ministry. And, Mm -hmm. um, like I said, made some of my best friends through there. Um, a lot of good connections through there. Um, I've I've had opportunities to work with a state athletics in the media relations area um, with guys like you know Matt Stoltz and Brad Bobo um, uh, and the people in the athletic department that he knew as season ticket holders and mm. that's kind of how I got to know them and Brian Boyer was a good personal friend of his mm. and uh, before he left Arkansas State and um, so just all these and then uh, Tracy Finch being she was like my college mom, mm. uh, is what I called her, you know, because she was always there for me uh, in college if I needed something with a class. And so just having all these connections, and then, like I said, it's about who you know, um, is, um, is something that he always taught me. And uh, I think one thing we can all take away from, uh, you know, just life in general is the golden rule that you're taught as a kid, you know, do unto others as you would to them. And, yeah. uh, you know, 
it's it's been a wild it it has definitely been a journey it has definitely been a journey i'm so thankful that you're willing to come on and share it um your dad he's a special dude and so um you know i've still got a picture i've actually got it on my phone of uh you know the year your dad coached me the only year that i won the most valuable player of the league uh award and i really believe it's because your dad was the kind of coach that like made he was able to help his players believe in themselves absolutely and um you know we were talking earlier about whenever i threw a no hitter and <laughs> it's funny i always teased him because it's like four innings in and i had he was gonna pull me because it's like innings yep. pitch i was like chip i've got a no or i called him coach at 12 like coach i got a no hitter and he's like well then get back out there you know and, and <laughs> yep. i just remembered that he was cheering as much as anybody in the in the, oh, yeah. in the crowd and man even till the day he died like even though that's all he ever coached me was when i was 12 but i always called him coach yeah and i think like that's kind of how like, I am with him, my dude. coaches today. Yeah. Like, whether it's Coach Lindsay who came through here at Paragold or Coach Watson and Coach Jace Watson or Coach Luke Lovins, I always say, hey, what's up, Coach? Or, you know, yeah. hey, what's up, Coach Rock or whatever. Well, and the thing is about me is I don't do that with everybody. And I think, like, with your dad, the reason I continue to call him Coach is because, like, I really feel like he was a life coach. Like, yeah, he truly was a coach. Like, I know he never did that for vocation for a mm-hmm. living, but like, man, that was just him. And then, like, yeah. I think about y'all's relationship, and it's like, I, I hope one day my kids can say some of the same things about me that you said about your dad. Of like, man, you just you just knew your dad believed in you, and he was so proud of you. Yeah, like, he and, was your biggest cheerleader, man. And yeah, even at basketball games, like, uh, if he heard me curse, I knew I was getting something at home from him but i was frustrated because a play had happened i probably wasn't happy with and i remember one time i turned around and gave him that look that he would give me he said turn around and watch the game and uh, i was like okay chill (laughs) and uh and but like it wasn't just me but like any other kid that he would bring in our home uh he would treat them as as his own sure um that's the kind of person he was yeah and one of my life uh long best buds growing up garrett taylor we were like two peas in a pod as as kids and we were the troublemakers at at fumc and um i mean you can ask my mom you can ask anybody who went to church with us during that time you can ask his mom libby we were always getting into trouble somehow or some way and, um, you know, he always treated him like a son uh, that he never had. Um, you know, all, my, all the guys I played basketball with um, in high school, he treated them as their own. And most importantly, if you did something incredible, it's, I think, something he's most iconic for, and that's the laminations. Yep. I've received a few of those. Many laminations yep. that he would give you. Yeah. Um, when you're, it, it didn't matter if your name was in a big article. If your name was in there, you were getting that article yeah. from him, yeah. and his business card was in the back of it. Yeah. And all my friends say, that's what I remember about your dad, was those laminations that he would give me, and I still have those. And I'm like, I'm glad that's something my dad could leave behind for them. Absolutely, man. And that's all from 
you know, but I say to them, that's not my dad. That's, that's God working through my dad. That's, that's just the kind of man my dad became. And that's the kind of man my, uh, my Lord and savior put on this earth to do what he did. And, um, I wouldn't be here without him and, or my mom either. My mom has been, you know, my rock since all this. And I couldn't thank her enough. And my aunt too. And just so many people, um, that I can name that have just been there for me through this five, six year journey. And, um, since basically the end of, you know, graduation of high school and is kind of when it all started. And, uh, but most importantly, I thank God for just putting him on this earth to be my earthly father for 19, 20 years, however long it was. And, um, I just, I couldn't thank him more, but when it was his time to go, uh, I've come to peace now knowing that he's in he's in a much better place. You know, he's resting in the arms of Jesus. They're all, him and my grandparents, they're all up there dancing happily. You know, no more pain, no more fear, no more sadness, just all happiness and joy. Mm. And um, because that's what it's going to be like one day yeah. when we see those pearly gates. You know, we're going to walk through those, arms wide open, and hopefully the Lord sees me one day and says, good job, my will, and well done, my faithful servant. Yeah. Well, man, that's a great place to end. Trey, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your story, man. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure, man. It's good catching up with you, too. Likewise. All right, so that was Trey Dortch. Um, And so glad that Trey had the courage to come on and uh, to share with great vulnerability about, uh, yeah, his his dad, who obviously was a best friend to him. And, um, and I can't imagine, you know, looking up to someone as much as Trey obviously looked up to his dad and to see him go through what he had to go through and then to lose him. But, um, man, what a great legacy that Chip has left behind. Um, and, and it's just, it's awesome to see how Trey in many ways is kind of carrying the torch that his dad was running with. And so, um, I loved getting to relive some of those stories with Trey. And so, um, Bill, as you know, uh, Chip, or as I've called him coach meant a lot to me personally, and not just as a, as a kid, but even as a young man, I mean, so we, we didn't talk about this with Trey, but he was the guy who, he was our insurance agent when Megan and I got married. He's the guy who made sure we had like our life insurance policy set up and we were in fantasy baseball leagues together and just had so much fun. And, and Chip, I think we even got our first loan for our first house through Chip. And so he really was kind of just a life coach for me, always incredibly encouraging. And um, man, I miss him, but so glad to see that Trey is, is processing things well and I'm glad that he came on to talk uh, more about what his dad meant to him and so many others. So if you're still listening to this, as always, thanks so much for tuning in. If you've not done so, give us a like on iTunes. That helps people to find us and 
Um, it's really easy to do that. It's very easy to do that. It takes two seconds and it goes a long way. Yeah, it does. It helps people find us and learn more about the great people living here in the city. And so give us a like on iTunes. Um, as um, we've said before, we're on all the social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can go to our website, paragoldpodcast.com. And if you've not subscribed to our email list, we encourage you to do that. Thanks again for listening. And until next time.